This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to Global Engagement. This is a World Affairs Council uh, Global Affairs Awareness Project that connects you with current events. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're starting this during the stay-at-home period of the pandemic response, especially as students are working from home and can find this useful information as they seek to understand what's happening in the world. Each week we'll share five important topics from the news and provide background, context, and analysis. And we'll get you involved through the webinar's interactive features. Global engagement will be broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as a webinar on Zoom where you can participate with your questions and comments. The series will be archived on the Tennessee World Affairs Council's YouTube channel and by audio on our Global Tennessee podcast. You can find links to all of the episodes on our website. That's tnwac.org. Let me introduce my co-host for Global Engagement, Ambassador Dick Bowers. He retired after a distinguished career in the U.S. Foreign Service with postings around the world, including as United States Ambassador to Bolivia. In addition to extensive service work in the community, including teaching ESL to new Americans, Ambassador Bowers has served on the World Affairs Council board for eight years. Dick, can you talk about the new webinars being offered by the World Affairs Council? I can indeed, Pat. Before I do that, though, let me just make sure that our viewers or listeners know who you are. Patrick Ryan is the president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, in fact, was instrumental in founding it over a dozen years ago. Pat was also in the U.S. Navy, had a distinguished career, and mostly at the end of it was doing intelligence kind of work in the Middle East, which led to his working as a civilian, producing a newsletter for a number of years about things Middle East. But back to the new programs we're going to have. Because of our current circumstances and social distancing, um, we're going Zoom. And we're pleased to be pivoting to, from our in-person global programs to this format so we continue our awareness efforts and, in fact, probably expand our outreach with new programs and new people watching and listening. So in addition to this program, Global Engagement, which uh, we are shooting to be shown every Tuesday at 2 o'clock, as Pat mentioned, we are launching a Tuesday evening series at 7 p.m. Central Time every week. The show that in that 7 p.m. time hour will alternate. There'll be one show one week and a different show the next week, and then the first show will pick up again. So the first one is going to be Global Nashville with Carl Dean. In this interactive webinar, former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean will talk with guests and with you about the things that make Nashville a global city. The program will also focus on the impact of the pandemic on the global aspects of the city and what we should prepare for and how we should shape our new normal on the other side of the pandemic. The program with uh, Mayor Dean 
will alternate with a new video version of Global Dialogue. This is our Global Affairs Speakers Program. And just like the Speakers Town Halls that we had for a number of years in partnership with Belmont University, we will present distinguished guests, including foreign and American diplomats, business leaders, military officers, scholars, non-governmental leaders, and others. So be sure to add Tuesday at 7 p.m. to your calendar to see and participate in Global Nashville and Global Dialogue, our guest speakers program. So I think that wraps it up, Pat. Basically, you've got two things every Tuesday to watch. Me and my buddy, Pat and then one of the other programs in the evening. Great, thanks, uh, uh, thanks, Dick. That's a lot of global stuff. Um, before we get into the news, I'd like to just uh, bring uh, everyone up to date on our education outreach program, especially for the students who might be watching. Uh, we have a number of programs uh, for students. One uh, that is uh, basically our flagship program is called Academic World Quest. It's a competition between high school teams uh, four students to a team, multiple choice questions in 10 topics that uh, we provide a study guide for. And we uh, recently wrapped up the uh, championship match uh, for Academic World Quest uh, for this year. Uh, unfortunately, the national competition, uh, due to the social distancing and the problems uh, of travel, uh, has been postponed uh, and probably uh, will not uh, be held this year. But we're looking forward to September of organizing uh, teams again for Academic World Quest. So if you're looking for some uh, form of learning about the world, uh, studying about the world and competing with other high schools or even within, uh, within your school, uh, take a look at uh, our website, tnwac.org for Academic World Quest. One thing that you can get involved with is uh, the Tennessee Global Scholar Certificate Program. Uh, this is a program where you earn points by participating in various uh, international affairs activities. Uh, some of those could be uh, programs like this. Uh, they could be the Model UN, uh, if you were on a WorldQuest team, or very many uh, other activities that involve uh, interest in global affairs. Uh, you can uh, receive credit and eventually uh, earn the Tennessee Global Scholar Certificate, uh, which is a medallion and a uh, uh, a certificate which uh, you can uh, present on your uh, credentials for college applications and also just to demonstrate that uh, you are interested in what's going on in the world and that you've achieved a certain level of, uh, of interest. Lastly, uh, I'll mention the weekly quiz. Uh, this is something that can keep you uh, up to date on what's going on in the world. Uh, every day we post uh, on Twitter uh, we tweet out uh, current events, we curate uh, news articles and uh, post those with the hashtag TNWACQuiz. Uh, and those uh, news items go into the weekly quiz every Monday at 10 a.m. comes out in the newsletter on our website and you can participate in the quiz and uh, possibly earn some uh, opportunity to win a, a prize that we offer. But at the uh, uh, the reward is uh, knowing what's going on in the world and keeping up to date and understanding uh, global developments. So those are uh, our education outreach programs. Again, go to tnwac.org uh, for more information. Just click on the menu bar under education. And you'll see a, a long list of opportunities for you uh, to get involved with. And um, I think that's it for our education outreach. And uh, on to the news. On to the news. 
So what do you have, what, you have five topics you're going to talk about? Um, let me just tick them off and then we'll start and go through them. Number one is the COVID-19 update. So what's going on, uh, probably a little bit here and, and what's going on in the world. This is the number one story going everywhere in the world. Uh, number two, the United Kingdom. What's happening in the United Kingdom? And number three, U.S.-Iran developments. So there have been some movement in our activity vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians. Four is global governance and democracy, an interesting kind of topic. What's the effect that this COVID-19 pandemic is going to have on our ability to govern ourselves and be part of the governance of the world? And finally, Afghanistan and America's longest war. What is going on there? Uh, what should be going on there, what it looks like we're having a breakthrough, but maybe we're really not. So we've got a lot to talk about, Pat. So how about COVID-19 update? Well, let's, uh, let's first tell everybody that uh, this inaugural edition of Global Engagement is being recorded on uh, Monday, uh, April 6th, and will be uh, presented uh, on Tuesday, April 7th. So the information that you get and with the, uh, the global pandemic, the information is changing every hour. So we encourage you to, to stay up to date uh, in, in uh, reliable news sources uh, about what's happening. But uh, a couple of uh, key items that uh, have made the news this week, uh, we, uh, we turn to Japan, where last week, uh, Dick, they uh, canceled, excuse me, they didn't cancel, they postponed the 2020 Olympics. It was set for Tokyo. Uh, at the end of July and into August, and given the uh, the issues with travel and social distancing and the uncertainty of what would be happening in July and, and August, they postponed it one full year. Uh, so the uh, they're still going to call it, interestingly enough, the 2020 Olympics, but it will actually be held in Tokyo uh, in 2021, July and August, and that goes uh, as well for the. Uh, uh, the Paralympics, which uh, typically accompany uh, right after an Olympic Games, the, uh, the Paralympics. Um, meanwhile, there's uh, been a state of emergency declared in, uh, in some cities. Uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has declared uh, a state of emergency to, uh, to tackle the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Now, uh, you, you may recall that uh, shortly after the outbreak in China, uh, there were a number of cases in Japan, and they uh, quickly uh, implemented uh, social distancing and and uh, travel restrictions on people entering the country and so forth, along with South Korea. And the situation in Japan seemed to have uh, been under control, but uh, they have announced uh, a number of new infections and have declared a, a state of emergency in the capital, Tokyo, and, and uh, other major cities. Can I put you on the spot with a question, Pat? That depends. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, if you were in Japan, would you stay there, or would you try to get back here as quick as you could? Um, and vice versa. If you're here and you're Japanese, would you stay here, or would you try to get back home as quick as you could? I think it's going to be uh, based on your circumstances. If it depends on, uh, I think, what city you would be located in. In Japan, obviously, uh, Tokyo is in a state of emergency. There are many other cities in Japan where the problem is uh, not as severe. Like the United States, we have uh, hotspots right now in New York City, New Orleans, 
Uh, I think Detroit is making the list. Nashville, uh, we're seeing a, a, a very significant rise in cases. So a lot of it is going to depend on where you are, what your circumstances are. Uh, the healthcare in, in Japan is uh, world class. Uh, so that's uh, that's not an issue. There's also the question of traveling. If uh, uh, we're concerned about social distancing, do you want to get on a plane for 12, 13, 14 hours with uh, people who may have uh, non-symptomatic uh, uh, COVID-19? Uh, and then what will your circumstances be when you arrive back in the States? Not everyone's healthcare situation is equal here. Um, so it's it's a toss-up. It's a tough question to answer. And again, I think it's situational. Well, probably, too, you're going to get to the point where you will not be able to get on a flight even if you wanted to do it. I mean, I think things continue to shut down. And as uh, more and more countries are taking this more and more seriously, and as they should. Right. Um, and while the focus here, if you watch the news in the United States, it's 99% or 95% what's going on in the United States with the virus, but this is a worldwide pandemic and there are things going on everywhere in the world. I just read, for example, three members of Burkina Faso's cabinet, the interior ministry and education guy, I think, and the agriculture guy, all have coronavirus. So where's Burkina Faso? That's a question for you students to look up, but it's got another name that it used to have. And the capital city of Burkina Faso is? Oh, yes. uh, well, I'm sorry, I, I didn't, I, I knew the answer to that. I, <laughs> I thought you were posing that to, uh, to our- uh, Well, I could, yeah, fine. Rhetorically. So but are, yeah, are you, yes, are, I, I did know that. Are you, what kind of things are you doing, Pat, on the co co coronavirus? Are you staying home and- uh, uh, I am a stay at home guy, 24 uh, seven. We yeah. make an occasional outing uh, to uh, to pick up some, uh, some essential supplies and an occasional trip to the, uh, the pharmacy. Uh, but otherwise we're, we're here 24 seven in our downtown Nashville uh, yeah. home um, and are just waiting it out to see, uh, to see what happens. You know, you get in a certain age group and they, they advise you to, uh, you know, we've, we've been hunkered down here for probably longer than, than most stay at home people, but uh, I would encourage everyone to follow uh, the governor and the mayor's uh, recommendations and the uh, guidelines, guidelines yeah. the CDC guidelines uh, to stay at home, limit uh, contact, wash your hands, um, observe good hygiene. And now I guess the uh, recommendation is to wear a mask when you go out. And, and importantly, uh, some people may interpret the, uh, the guidelines on having a mask as, as being kind of a, uh, a defense against uh, exposure when you're out. So, but don't don't feel that uh, a mask is now your, you know, this. this well, I think the word out there from the CDC is the mask is more to prevent you from infecting others than it is from you know, right. breathing in something that could infect you. And right. you never know. I mean, the thing that makes most sense to me, act as if you have it. And you don't want to go out there and, you know, infect other folks. And I think act as if everybody you encounter has it. Amen. And yeah. uh, especially, you know, you're out uh, shopping and whatever and touching surfaces, but we, we digress from what's going on in the world. So uh, let's, let's jump to Italy where uh, Italy, 
the cases in Italy have plateaued. Uh, Italy is uh, still the uh, principal epicenter of infections in Europe. Uh, they had uh, a tremendous problem in the north, and then it has spread uh, throughout the country. Uh, south of Naples and south of Rome, not as much, but there are some cases. Uh, the real serious problems are in the north, stretching the arc across from Genoa in the west to Venice in the east, across the industrial belt, Milan, Bergamo, uh, some of the other cities uh, in the north were, were especially hard hit. Uh, they experienced shortages of uh, ventilators, uh, every, every sort of uh, PPE, the uh, protective equipment to, uh, to deal with it, uh, and they had a uh, horrendous number of, of deaths associated with it. Uh, I think, uh, Dick, the United States has surpassed Italy in total number of infections and, and deaths, yeah. and, and we're tracking, you know, every once in a while you see a, a uh, four or five line diagram showing trajectory of, of countries. And I think the United States sadly is on the trajectory of some of the, the cases that did not go so well. Italy, Spain. Yeah, we're still, we're still going up. We have not hit the hump yet. So we're yep. gonna, everybody in the States was talking about this is gonna be the worst week ever. So we'll have to see. I, interestingly in Europe, how the European Union, as the European Union, really has not taken on this problem. Individual countries have reverted back to their own sovereign territory and their own sovereign ways of doing things. And different countries are doing very different things. I mean, sure. the Swedes are kind of an oddball out there where they have not tightened up as much as the other Scandinavian countries have. Uh, the Danes have been on the, on the economic side, the spinoff from COVID-19 have been very proactive, but in a way very different than the United States. They are giving governmental subsidies to businesses to keep people on the payroll. So our, our program basically is we're going to send a check to everybody and they can do what they want with it. Danes and others in Europe are saying, keep these people on the payroll, keep them as your employees, and we'll be ready to ramp back up once we can get out and start working again. I think well, this part of the uh, part of the CARES Act uh, does include provisions for businesses uh, in the United States uh, to get uh, supplements from the government as long as they keep people on the payroll. Okay. I think uh, I think there are two programs. Yeah, and uh, it, it's not just businesses, but nonprofit organizations uh, such as ours uh, could uh, possibly participate in that. Uh, it's it's kind of slow in the rollout, but we'll see how that goes. But you make an interesting point that um, in the European Union, uh, two two things that are worth mention: uh, the countries do seem to be uh, looking at unilateral approaches rather than the European Union-wide approach right. uh, to dealing with uh, the pandemic. Um, Italy, Spain, and France asked the European Union, uh, the Parliament, to uh, to put. Uh, some legislation in place for European Union-wide uh, remedies to the pandemic, or at least uh, some tools that uh, uh, that governments could use, and the Germans objected to it. So uh, there's not unanimity in uh, the EU on on how to deal with the the pandemic. Uh, the other the other thing that um, I've heard discussed uh, on some podcasts and elsewhere is that. Uh, the European Union, most of the countries in the European Union have universal health care. Yeah. So if, um, if someone 
um, loses their job, they, uh, they don't lose their health care, uh, and there are no uninsured uh, residents of those, those countries. So th those are issues that we're, that we're finding uh, to be uh, particularly hard uh, for people to deal with in, in this time of crisis. So you know, one, one of the things to consider. I have not heard much about, what's going on in Russia? And I had, a, I had the opportunity about a week ago, I, you can, you can uh, read Pravda in English. Basically, if you just Google Pravda newspaper, it comes up in Russian, but you can translate it. They have some very interesting, bizarre things going on, uh, including the idea that somehow the West started all this, that this, this is just a, a plot from the U.S. military, right, that yeah. got out of hand. Well, that that propaganda is also uh, being spread by some entities originating in uh, in China, and that uh, that's led to a lot of pushback in the United States. Uh, that this uh, you know was supposedly a concoction in an army laboratory somewhere, uh, which is patently uh, false. Not uh, But uh, there are people in the United States pushing back. Um, we noticed uh, for a while. Uh, the president was calling it the Chinese uh, virus. Uh, the secretary of state was calling it the Wuhan virus. And I think after uh, President Trump had a conversation, a phone call with President Xi, that uh, that language uh, seem, seemingly has eased up. I don't know what the nature of the phone call was, but uh, hopefully we can get past the war of words and work together more closely on uh, dealing with the pandemic. Well, the, the Asians seem to be, you know, they're ahead of us on this. They, we started the same day as South Korea by having our first case and their first case. And they did a much better job than we in shutting it down. Uh, and they're way ahead of us in terms of flattening their curve out. Right. We're still spiking up. So it, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, they did a much better job of controlling this thing than we've done. So we have a lot of lessons to learn once this thing shakes out. Right. As the Surgeon General said over the weekend, uh, this week, the week of April uh, 6th, is uh, going to be a particularly uh, rough week in the United States. So, uh, you know, we're, we'll see where we are on that curve, whether we're flattening it out or uh, continue to rise uh, in, the, in a trajectory similar to uh, places like Italy and Spain. Yeah. While we're on Europe, let's uh, let's turn to our second topic, uh, Dick. The uh, the United Kingdom. Well, um, the Queen didn't say you know stay calm and carry on, but she said remain united and resolute. So the Queen has, I think, for the fifth time in her reign, spoken out, other than at her annual uh, Christmas message. Um, and the big news, which happened just before we came on the air here, is that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been admitted to intensive care. Early on, he was a kind of a somewhat of a denier. And well, this is not going to be a big thing. He didn't take the preventive steps. He was out glad handing and mixing and mingling and doing things. And unfortunately, he's paying a heavy price for it now. So the government is now being run by his second in line while he is in intensive care and we pray for him and God bless him. I hope it comes through this without a problem. Right. It wasn't until about a week or so ago that uh, uh, the United Kingdom saw that they were in a bad place and instituted uh, 
um, a major crackdown and, and people caught out on the street without a, a purpose of where they're going, what they're doing can, can be arrested or, or fined heavily. So uh, the United Kingdom uh, is, uh, they're, in, they're in the middle of it uh, like we are and uh, are uh, similarly to the United States uh, trying, to, trying to catch up. Well, all of these things, you know, the spinoff from all of this stuff, Pat, for example, in Western Europe, um, they're in the, in the midst of either planting or starting to begin to think about harvesting vegetables and things of this sort. They rely heavily upon East Europeans to come in and do a lot of that work. And now with no movement, who's going to pick these crops? Who's going right. to plant these crops? What's going to happen? And this could spin over in terms of availability of food. Um, France, Spain, Spain is another one that's been hit very, very hard, right? And Germany seems to be locked down, but uh, doing better than some of its southern neighbors, for example. Well, another uh, aspect of that is Brexit. You know, we, uh, we went through months and months of uh, the Brexit, or actually years of uh, Brexit talks, only to see in January that Brexit actually uh, took place on the 31st. Yeah. Um, and there's a, an 11 month run up to a final negotiation between the uh, European Union and the United Kingdom. But uh, the United Kingdom has clamped down on uh, uh, migration and, and travel in, into the United Kingdom. Uh, so you're right, uh, there's going to be a lot of consequences uh, for the normal flows of people to, to get business done. Yeah. One thing that uh, hit the news uh, over the weekend as well is that the United Kingdom has a new leader of the opposition Labour Party. Um, you probably recall, uh, Dick, that in December there was a major victory. Uh, Boris Johnson, the head of the Conservatives, uh, won a, a significant victory over the Labour Party, uh, bolstering uh, his uh, Brexit program and also ensuring that uh, the Conservatives uh, are in power for the foreseeable future. But the new Labour Party uh, leader replacing uh, Mr. Jeremy Corbyn, who was criticized heavily for being too far to the left, uh, he's being replaced by Keir, that's K-E-I-R, uh, Starmer, who's a uh, former prosecutor and human rights um, uh, attorney. So he brings uh, some liberal ideas to, uh, uh, to his position as head of the Labour Party. Uh, but he's uh, also seen as somebody who uh, does his homework. He's a details-oriented uh, sort of guy. Uh, so a lot of people who look at uh, uh, Boris Johnson or, or Bojo, as, as some people uh, lovingly uh, call him, uh, as being uh, more of a flamboyant, charismatic uh, figure. So um, uh, the, the competition between labor and conservative is now being branded as uh, a battle between competence and charisma. There you go. So how's your uh, British jurisprudence, for example? If Boris Johnson cannot serve, what happens? Ah, uh, well, he's, uh, uh, I don't want to say I'm winging this, but uh, uh, I suspect that he would be replaced by someone named uh, by his party because in the, uh, in uh, the that, in the British system, the parliamentarian system, uh, the uh, the prime minister is uh, nominated by uh, the ruling party, and the conservatives still are the ruling party. So, 
Uh, we will... the queen has a role in this, right? She has to well, kind of accept uh, the queen is the queen is the head of state. The right. prime minister is the head of government, and under the British system, uh, Queen Elizabeth has uh, an honorific uh, position in approving the uh, uh, the appointment of the prime minister. But I don't know what would happen if she said no. I don't like that guy or gal, and uh, you know. That's a whole d a deeper level of uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, Britishness that we'll have to research, Dick. All right. Okay, uh, on to topic three. Um, I think I'll I'll uh, take the lead on this one, uh, Dick. U.S. Okay. Iran relations and a couple of uh, things in the news. Um, uh, one that uh, I can I can share with you from Monday. April 6th, there was a press conference, uh, a group of uh, distinguished American and European leaders from diplomacy, um, officials from government, uh, senators, and, and so forth. In total, 24, uh, including Madeleine Albright, Thomas Pickering, uh, Frank Wisner, the, the last two of those who have been here at the Tennessee World Affairs Council in our speakers program. Uh, this group uh, got together and they uh, organized a joint statement called the Transatlantic Call to Ease Humanitarian Trade with Iran due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you, you probably know, Dick, that uh, Iran, uh, of all the Middle East countries, was hit particularly hard by the coronavirus. Uh, it started in the holy city of Qom, uh, Q-O-M, uh, which is uh, their, their center of religious uh, activity in the Shiite uh, branch of the Islamic faith. And uh, a number of uh, pilgrims who go to the holy city uh, spread the uh, coronavirus around Iran, and it stretched uh, even outside the borders of Iran. Uh, Shiites who travel to other countries, Iraq, Syria, um, Lebanon, uh, some Shiites who traveled to uh, Sunni-dominated uh, Muslim countries were also uh, infected. So uh, the, the city of Qom is uh, an epicenter for a breakout in the Middle East. And it's uh, come at a time for Iran uh, as they're suffering from the sanctions following the uh, U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, their economy is in, in very bad shape, and now they're dealing with the COVID-19 virus. So uh, this group of two dozen um, uh, distinguished people got together and in this pre press conference talked about uh, the necessity to uh, provide humanitarian assistance, that the uh, assistance would be in, in the form of loans, uh, for example, from the International Monetary Fund, uh, would not be necessarily cash, uh, because some people are wor worrying that the government of Iran might take the cash and use it, uh, for example, through the Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, for uh, malevolent purposes, but would be in the form of uh, medical technology and uh, pharmaceuticals and, and so forth. So that's on the table uh, this week, uh, the joint statement on uh, on COVID-19. Do you think the Trump administration will show any interest in, in backing off some of the sanctions? And, and if they were... To do that, would that provide an opening perhaps for beginning of a little more budding diplomacy than we've seen besides saber rattling and in your face kind of diplomacy? Well, um, that's a good question. And that was a question posed in the, the press conference I listened in on 
uh, the the question of uh, what would the Trump administration reaction be, and uh, uh, Ambassador Thomas Pickering, uh, from your your club of uh, ambassadors, uh, he uh, career foreign service officer came up through the ranks. Tom Pickering yes. is one of our finest. Yes, he, he's an incredible guy, and we were very fortunate to have him here in Nashville, yeah. uh, talking to uh, students and uh, and the community. But uh, he and some others mentioned that there are actually uh, mechanisms in place, uh, even despite the post-Trump withdrawal from the uh, JCPOA, uh, yeah. the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is really uh, still in force with the Europeans and right? still, still in force with the Europeans, but it's uh, and the well, the Chinese are still on board. It's uh, the permanent five plus yeah. um, Germany, Germany and the European Union. Uh, yeah. Now it's without the U.S., but there are uh, procedures and mechanisms in place. The problem is that the Trump administration has been uh, under its maximum pressure campaign, uh, pushing institutions um, aggressively. And a lot of banks uh, don't know, you know, they're reluctant to get in, in the middle of it, yeah. even though there there is a permissive environment to some extent. So the statement calls for the uh, Trump administration to uh, to work with the IMF and other international organizations uh, to assist in, uh, in bringing about uh, uh, some sort of uh, medical relief to Iran as as they suffer, like many other countries in the world, uh, through this uh, this pandemic. So one of the one of the issues there as, as well, Pat, I think, is the reliability of the data. Uh, in some countries, you can be pretty well assured that what the government's putting out is what is actually going on and what sure. they're counting. In others, there's a lot of fudging going on for local political reasons, usually, or they just don't know because they haven't done enough testing and they have no idea how many people are really sick. So right. and with the Iranians, the, the word on the street is that they have not been as open and honest as they might be. Right. If, if you look uh, around the world, China, um, Iran, and some other countries, uh, the numbers really uh, beg uh, closer inspection, especially as uh, anecdotal information comes out, uh, especially in places like Wuhan in China, where uh, the number of, uh, of people who really uh, right. b are believed to have uh, perished uh, are about 10 times what the Chinese uh, are saying. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, um, not just in terms of the pandemic, but in probably every endeavor, if you have to look, uh, sort of look, look hard at, uh, at the numbers. Quick follow-on. Do you think the Iranians would be willing to send some signals that they're willing to take some steps that would... Uh, sort of sweeten the pot, if you will. I mean, there, that was, there are uh, a number of people in jail in Iran that were trying to get out, uh, among those, other things. Those issues were uh, were discussed in the press conference, and uh, it, uh, it, it played out that people believed uh, behind-the-scenes diplomacy, where some of these things happened without a lot of fanfare on either side, yeah. whether, whether it was the United Just States um, uh, saying that, you know, we're, we're doing these things, uh, for the uh, the Iranians, and uh, and likewise the Iranians, uh, not uh, not playing up uh, so much that they were receiving American aid, which uh, for some people there would be a problem. And likewise, uh, politically in the United States, uh, to be seen as helping Iran uh, would be a problem. I I should add that uh, uh, the other issue in the news uh, with regard to Iran has been 
the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, as as you know, Dick. Hezbollah. Uh, well, uh, oh, yeah. The, oh, the militias, like the, militias uh, in, in Iraq, uh, not uh, not Hezbollah in uh, right. I'm sorry. In in Lebanon, but um, uh, the uh, the PMF forces that were involved in attacks on the embassy, rocket attacks uh, against our our bases, where we still have uh, U.S. troops. Uh, the United States uh, reacted to some of that activity with the killing of Qasem Soleimani in uh, uh, January, which uh, resulted in a missile bombardment front directly from Iran of a base, uh, two bases in northern Iraq. Iraq. Uh, and that uh, back and forth has been going on. Uh, meanwhile, the Trump administration, uh, President Trump himself, said that uh, if uh, if that continued, he would, quote, go up the food chain, which means that uh, the United States would not only deal with the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, but would look to Iran, to Tehran, as being uh, the source uh, of that mischief and would go, uh, would do is something. That a, is that a threat of war? It is a threat uh, of some form. And since uh, we have been applying maximum pressure, one could only conclude that uh, it is not a threat of economic activity because we've already exhausted uh, yeah. almost every yeah. aspect of economic uh, pressure. Full uh, out on that score, right? So, so someone would uh, would assume that. Uh, well, uh, I, I, you know, from Dick Bauer's point of view, this is an opportunity <laughs> for us to take a, you know. A, step forward, lessen the tensions, do something that's humanitarianly right, moral, just, and good, uh, and hopefully it would be matched by a step, positive steps on the other side, and we lessen the tensions and do a little detente, right, where we can work better than we have in the past. So I'm well, hopeful. Well, you're you're over in uh, you 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 come from Foggy Bottom, the State Department, and and uh, <laughs> I, I spent time in the Pentagon, so I I think we're well well matched here to provide a, a good give and take. Uh, I, I suspect uh, uh, that's going to be a tough sell in Washington, no matter how many diplomats sign on to the statement. But we'll see what happens. Uh, there is uh, some noise within the Trump administration to uh, to try to extend a hand. We're uh, we're running long on, on talking about uh, topics, so let's jump to the next one, uh, Dick. Well, global governance and democracy. I, uh, you young students who are out there watching this for the first time, you are living in unprecedented historical times. Uh, in my lifetime, nothing in the history of the world is like this since the Second World War. In that Second World War, the United States and the rest of the world basically mobilized to carry out and win that war for the good guys. And we are now in a fight to win and save our democracy and our economy and how our way of life is going to be. And this is going to be a very, very hard task. And I know, Pat, that uh, you just read a, a very interesting article about the, the threats that are posed by the pandemic to good governance and democracy. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I, I would encourage uh, students and others out there to, uh, to take a look at a, a number of uh, think tanks in Washington and, and New York. Uh, and, you know, think tanks get kind of a 
get kicked around uh, in in talking about the government and in politics, but uh, there really are a lot of good studies that come out of these, and and you can either scan them every once in a while, or actually sign up for their newsletters on on areas that uh, might be of interest to you. Uh, one of them is the Council on Foreign Relations CFR.org. Another good one is the Center for Strategic and International Studies at CSIS.org. And uh, one that I uh, also get the newsletter from is the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And their uh, web address is carnegieendowment.org. Uh, there's a study outdated uh, April 6th, a commentary from uh, Brown, uh, Breckenmacher, and Carruthers. Uh, and the title of it is, uh, How Will the Coronavirus Reshape Democracy and Governance Globally? And, uh, and the piece makes uh, uh, four points specifically talking about uh, what democracy, the challenges to democracy, and uh, the areas that stand out, uh, areas of concern um, as uh, during the pandemic, new emergency powers are, uh, are being put in place by some uh, regimes around the world. Some of them who are already uh, exercising a uh, more authoritarian uh, grasp on, on power and some of them that uh, may come to it as a result of the pandemic. And one of those, uh, starting out the uh, areas of concern, uh, the first one is uh, centralization of power. And I'll, I'll take through these, Dick, and then we can uh, kick it around a little bit. Uh, so centralization of power is uh, the first one. Uh, leaders taking advantage of the crisis. Um, the abridgment of fundamental rights. And, uh, and some of that goes along with centralization of power. Uh, the third uh, item of concern in the uh, Carruthers piece is expanded state surveillance. Now there are some places where um, they're uh, notorious uh, like China and Shenzhen province uh, and around the country for uh, having a uh, surveillance state. And the last one is banishing protests. Um, and you can see some of these uh, are specifically um, aligned with uh, our Bill of Rights, the freedom uh, to assemble, the freedom of speech, uh, uh, our basic freedoms. Uh, but these in many countries are, are under, uh, under attack. Um, Dick, I, I know uh, you had uh, a great conversation in the first episode of uh, Global Nashville with Carl Dean as we took kind of a tour de horizon of, of what was happening around the world and you made the point that especially in uh, the third world, um, we could see uh, shaky democracies losing their way. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 we're, we're sitting here in Nashville and uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job with this social distancing, but imagine you're living in Soweto in South Africa where probably half the people don't even have running water. You know, how are you gonna wash your hands all the time? And you're packed maybe eight or 10 people into one room. Well, much and much of the world lives that way. So when this cauldron of passing these viruses around starts growing and people, what do they wanna do? Where do they get their food? They're, they live in an economy where they're out there every day having to try to do the best they can to sell something or barter something so they can live. So it's going to be a real tough row for much of the world. And we haven't seen that. I think most, most of the countries in Africa and, Latin and South America are behind us in the wave, in the, in the spike. Um, 
I'm concerned that there'll be some real breakdowns and some revolutions and civil wars going on as riots take over and people get so desperate that they don't know what else to do but take to the streets. Well, and that's, that's where, go ahead. Yeah, that's uh, you know, one, one more consequence of uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, the, the, the push from the, uh, the bottom pushing up. Um, right. I think what this Carnegie uh, piece is talking about is, is the push from the top, uh, top down in terms of uh, accumulation of power. Um, the, uh, the case in, you know, we had it on our, uh, our list here, uh, Victor Orban in, uh, Hungary. in Hungary, Hungary, for example, uh, recently his uh, ruling party uh, voted uh, in parliament to give him uh, indefinite uh, rule by decree. And they've already started cracking down on journalists. Uh, people in the medical profession are reluctant to speak out um, for fear of being yeah. jailed uh, concerning the rates of uh, testing and infection from the pandemic. So uh, some governments in using the uh, the ruse of the reacting to the pandemic or, or simply accumulating We'll Use uh, the pandemic power. as a cover to go ahead and seize more power. Irvine, for example, has over the number of years been weakening various institutions, especially the press and the courts. And now his party is very loyal to him in the legislature and they just basically passed a carte blanche that he can do whatever he wants to do. So the checks and balances are not gonna be there. And this is the first European democratic country where this has occurred. Right. I don't know if it's going to be the last because we have some other countries out there that have that potential, I believe. Well, Poland has been criticized for um, uh, suppression of uh, freedom in the judiciary, for example. The right. European Union. Uh, Turkey's even, another issue with the problem even, with Erdogan. Even before the pandemic, Poland was uh, was an issue. But we're right. seeing it not just in Europe, uh, also uh, Rodrigo Duterte, the president of the Philippines, um, and in Cambodia, there's a new draft law that uh, is looking at uh, rule well, by you, decree. You see this sort of coming home to roost here, Pat, when you find that our governor uh, realizes that we need to do this social separation to try to stop this coronavirus in its tracks. But at the same time, he's talking about, well, we don't want to trample on individual liberties. Well, frankly, I don't see how you do both. You're either going to try to stop the virus or you're going to say you do what you want, and in which case the virus is going to spread like crazy. Right. So and, and I, a, think, I think um, I think public health concerns have been tested in the judiciary in yeah. terms of constitutionality and, and have withstood uh, those kinds of challenges. Okay, so we, uh, we talked about Orban. Any other uh, suppression of uh, liberty and democracy and governance you want to close with before with, uh, we uh, move on? The giant Bolsonaro, and he's another one of the kind of corona deniers. And, uh, he's been out and about saying it's all just like the flu. You don't have to worry about it. Back but to work. Brazil is going to really get smacked because they're another one of these countries where you've got the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots live in very tight, steamy quarters. Part of the issue, which has not uh, been looked at sufficiently, I believe, is the climate difference. We are coming into spring. They are going into winter. Traditionally, these kind of viruses like the flu this is a, a winter kind of thing. And when the summer comes, it gets hotter, the virus has a tougher time 
getting around. So whether that'll make a difference between North and South America, I'm not sure. But it, right now, all of the countries in Latin America have the virus and yeah, it's growing. I, yeah, not just Latin America, but uh, all of the uh, Southern oh. southern uh, Hemisphere countries. Yeah, Africa. Uh, Africa is, is gonna be in, Australia, uh, all of, in, in yeah. big trouble. Yeah, the, the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it's it's not just a theory. It's it's looking like the outbreaks are are starting to spread. So this is a research question for our students out there. Is there a country in the world that does not yet have a case of coronavirus? Sixth of April, two thousand twenty. <laughs> I don't think so. I think every maybe Antarctica is, is virus. If, if you find if you find an answer, send uh, an email to uh, Ambassador Bowers at tnwac.org. And I, I suspect he'll have a prize. We'll for have you. a prize for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Our last topic is Afghanistan, um, and uh, there's been uh, some news there. Uh, Dick, do you do you want to uh, jump well, in on the, that? The for months, the United States has led the effort to try to cut a deal with the Taliban. The Taliban are the groups of the Muslim fundamentalists that are basically trying to take down the government and take over the and make the country the way they want it. Uh, Just a little uh, background and context that the Taliban actually governed uh, Afghanistan prior to 9-11. Uh, well, they, they governed it at, on 9-11 and yes. then we went in and asked them to give up, right? The Right. Guys they they host the they hosted Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda who uh, and refused launched, to give him uh, up and that's why we went in to get him launched their attacks on the United States and and the Taliban right. uh, did not uh, want to turn them over so the United States invaded Afghanistan in in 2001 and the uh, the Taliban retreated to uh, positions uh, out of the cities and towns but continued to battle with the United States and the Afghan security forces from safe havens and across the border in northern Pakistan and other regions of, uh, of Afghanistan. So I'm, I'm sorry, Dick, go ahead. No, so the, an American diplomat, Karzai, has been, uh, no, America Lassi, what's his name? Have to check it out, sorry. Anyway, we have negotiated a deal with the Taliban. And that deal was negotiated between the United States and the Taliban, and it did not include the Afghan government in the deal. So now we have an issue of trying to get the Afghan government to come on board and do what's necessary with the deal. Part of the problem there is there are two people after recent elections that say they are the head of the Afghan government. Meanwhile, the Taliban has sent a group into Kabul because part of the deal is the release of some 6,000 Taliban prisoners. So this is all swirling around. And meanwhile, the Taliban is saying that the deal is on the point of being broken. And we don't know what's going to happen. So stay tuned on that one. The, uh, the name you're, you're hunting there is uh, Ambassador Zalmay Khalilazad. That's it. He's an Afghan-American uh, who was... Khalilazad. Uh, U.S. ambassador to uh, to Afghanistan, and now he's he's heading up the uh, the peace talks. He has been uh, engaged in peace talks. They were in the, in the Persian Gulf and the United Arab Emirates uh, talking correct uh, for some time, and 
Yeah, they're, they're close to reaching an agreement. Well, they had an agreement. It's just a matter of implementing it. The Afghan government is uh, reluctant to, uh, to get involved. Whoever that Afghan government may be. Well, that's a, that's a complicating uh, item in the Dula, news. Dula, right? And, and Mr. Right. Uh, the, the United States has threatened Ghani. to uh, withhold a billion dollars in aid to Afghanistan uh, this week. It's, uh, it's come out in the news. And three quarters of the Afghan security forces uh, rely on, uh, on money from that, uh, that international assistance uh, from uh, the United States. And the problem that the United States is trying to resolve is a competition uh, at the head of the Afghan government between the president, Ashraf Ghani, and the, uh, the title is chief executive officer, but he's the, the political rival of the president. Uh, his name is Abdullah Abdullah. And uh, the two of them have been competitors for years now. And the, uh, the most recent election uh, was not decisive. So the two of them are uh, in relative positions of power, uh, but unable to come to an agreement on how to deal with the results of the negotiation with the Taliban. So uh, stay tuned. It's only been 19 years uh, since the United States has been- Our longest uh, war ever. Has, has been fighting in Afghanistan. And uh, the uh, the current administration is is trying to uh, to bring that to a close. So um, more to come on that. So Dick, that's uh, that's our five topics. Uh, uh, thanks. Th of the horizon. Huh? Th thanks for the uh, the read through on that. Speaking of of reading, um, I think you said you had a book that you wanted to share. I do, and I, this is a, a great read. Right, prisoners of geography. Basically, the thesis is a foreign policy, the politics of a country are going to be dictated by its geography. And I would highly recommend it. I'm halfway through. I have agreed totally with this guy. It's well written, well researched, lots of good stuff. I'm a geography nut anyway. So get this book and you can get it online. Kindle. Enjoy. Keep holding that up. I want to make one point. You you reminded me of something. The the weekly quiz that book was on our list of uh, quiz prizes uh, just uh, a couple of months ago. So there's a, a quiz taker out there in the World Affairs Council uh, community who's got that book in hand, and I'm sure they're having a, a good uh, read of it. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that we uh, we award as uh, prizes at the quiz winners. And Dick, I've got a, a book I'd uh, recommend, and this is. Um, a Problem from Hell by Samantha Power. She was the United States oh, yeah. ambassador uh, to the United Nations. Uh, not a career diplomat, but um, she started out as a journalist and worked in the Balkans and wrote uh, this She's book. A career internationalist. She's been in the field a long, long time. Yes, yeah, she, uh, she wrote this book about uh, genocide. It's called uh, America and the Age of Genocide. And uh, it uh, talks about uh, the genocides in uh, Rwanda and elsewhere around the world and how America deals with those kinds of things. So those are a couple of books that uh, you might uh, pick up by uh, ordering either a, an online version or the, the hard copy of the book. Uh, I'd also mention that Samantha Power uh, was, was with us uh, at a World Affairs Council event. So that's, uh, that's the uh, level of quality of of speakers we get at our in-person events uh, and until we resume our in-person events, our town halls at Belmont University, uh, we'll be bringing them to you in uh, the video format 
uh, here on Tuesday evenings at seven o'clock. Again, Carl Dean, uh, he'll be uh, bringing you Global Nashville with Carl Dean on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And then we'll alternate weeks with uh, the Global Dialogue Program, which is our Distinguished Visiting Speaker Program. So we'll be talking to people. Uh, and one of the advantages of, uh, of the video format is that we can reach out to people who uh, we might not necessarily been able to afford to bring uh, to Nashville for a, an in-person event. But you'll have an opportunity through the uh, the webinar to uh, to pose questions and, and comments. and uh, and see what they've got to say. So keep that on your calendar, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And Global Engagement, when is it, Dick? It's gonna be next Tuesday at two o'clock. We'll see okay. you there. Live and in person. Right. We, uh, we we hope that you'll uh, share this with um, with your, your colleagues and your friends and other people who are staying at home, staying in place, observing the, uh, the good uh, social distancing. And uh, we'll be back then and uh, have more yeah, hot, topics, me, hot topics make, in the news. Make sure I get the link. I'm going to send it to my grandchildren. All right. Because <laughs> they're, they're sitting home wondering, what, what, what do I do all day? Okay. Ambassador, bye -bye. Ambassador Dick Bowers, thanks so much. And Thank uh, you, Pat. we will see you next week.